What's in the bag? A shark or something? Put the bunny back in the box. This is Two Guys, Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelican. You are listening to The Quick Cage. And Frank, which Nicolas Cage movie are you going to tell us about tonight? So tonight we're going to talk about the 1994 Mm -hmm. um, dramedy, Mm -hmm. comedy drama, I don't know, film, uh, Guarding Deaths. Starring uh, Shirley MacLaine alongside Nicolas Cage. Um, with some other people that you would recognize, uh, Austin Pendleton and Richard Griffiths, probably the most, um, basic plot is that Cage is a secret service agent who served under, um, former president who had passed away and had remained on with, uh, the president's widow's security detail. Um, he's young and brash and feels like he's better than just guarding the ex-first lady, um, constantly disappointed by his, um, like, being stuck in the role. So, tries for a while to get out of it. Um, there's a lot of sort of unearned animosity between him and the first lady, like, considering what his job is, and he's just kind of a dick to her. Um, and she's, like, cantankerous, too, but still, like, whatever, still, like, a former first lady. Um, right. But they eventually form a sort of like um, mother and son bond um, based over like really just like the lack of a life that he has and the poor relationship she has with her kids. Um, So he eventually comes to appreciate the assignment. Um, But then she gets kidnapped out of nowhere um, by her longtime chauffeur. Um, and Nicolas Cage has to rescue her. So it turns into a weird, like, crime caper for the last 30 minutes of the movie. Um, and of course, Nicolas Cage saves her and then <clears throat> basically stays on as her personal guard, um, you know, at the end of the film. And that's it. And then why, with them, why was she, together. why was she kidnapped? They were trying to ransom her for fifteen million dollars. Like the basic plot is that, yeah, I think it's fifteen million. Um, she's considered like a national treasure by most people. Okay. Um, I have not seen this in since nineteen ninety five, probably. So she's generally beloved by the American people. Um, her husband was a really popular president. She was a really popular first lady. So there's the idea that, um, like people would be distraught if anything happened to her um and they're using that as a um sort of as the way to kind of leverage getting this money um but it's actually it gets really dark at the end of the movie because they after they kidnap her um they bury her in uh like a like a tomb basically with a single pipe for air um so she's like buried six feet under the ground 
with like little oxygen and she's been in there for days and she's a 70 year old woman or whatever mm. um so she almost dies at the end of the, like towards the end of the film but then cage saves her um yeah i mean there's not really much else to say like it's it's a pretty uneven movie in a lot of ways only because it's almost like too many plot lines. Like it, it should have been probably an hour longer as crazy as it is to say. So they could have really developed number one, like the relationship between the two of them, between cage and uh, McLean. Mm-hmm. Um, not that it's not believable because it's really the best part of the movie, but it still just kind of goes from him, like hating her in the span of like one scene to, immediately realizing the error of his of his ways by being mean to her and then him like completely turning around and being almost like a sycophant to her or you know like i said like it develops it as kind of a a mother and son relationship so it's Mm -hmm. it's a it's an odd movie in that respect in that it doesn't really earn um the relationship but it's still good like it's still um because they're so good like the performance is so good in it that it becomes like kind of believable in that respect where you can at least appreciate it so so i'm uh, it's just reading through the plot summary here um so he shoots off the suspect's toe like he's jack bauer yeah he figures out that so there was the show the the way that she gets kidnapped is She's really upset because the president was supposed to come to a dedication of a wing of her husband's memorial hospital or memorial library. Um, And then the president ditches her and sends like his secretary of the interior instead or something. So she kind of falls into a depression because of that and asks Cage to take... um, take her on a picnic like basically by himself like she doesn't want everybody around she just wants him to be there and so she can kind of sit on the banks of the ohio river um and reflect or whatever so Mm -hmm. it's cage the chauffeur and her so she falls asleep over the course of like sitting out you know on this really kind of like shitty looking day for like the whole day because she's old and she's tired um so cage carries her to the car and then has to go back for her chair that they left sitting out there. And when cage goes back to get the chair, the chauffeur turns on the car and drives away. So initially everyone thinks that because she's notorious for, um, trying to kind of escape her details so she can just like be alone at certain points. Mm-hmm. So people think that that's what's happened because she has mm-hmm. a really long-term relationship with the chauffeur. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it turns out to be kidnapped her. So cage kind of suspects the guy immediately anyway. But then they find out that um, the guy has wounds on the back of his neck that are crescent-shaped scars that the CIA think are um, terrorists, like Middle Eastern terrorists. Mm. Um, But what it is really is it's uh, defense wounds that she gave him by hitting him with the cigarette lighter in the back of the car. Mm. So Nicholas Cage figures that out, and that's how they kind of crack the mystery. But he sort of refuses to cooperate, so then Cage shoots off his toe Mm. to get him to cooperate. Okay right in front of his commanding officer and he's already in trouble because he's um and now is this the james reborn character yeah okay yeah. he's already in trouble because they kind of think of him as a fuck up for losing the first lady anyway um but it's how he redeems himself and then in the end like nothing happens to him like basically she tells the police yeah you're not going to prosecute 
my agent because I like him. And that's just that. Like, there's no, like, further recourse or anything. So that's kind of unbelievable. Well, it sounds like um, this is, like, a mildly positive review. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed watching the movie. The, the entire yeah. time I was thinking, like, this is not a very well-made movie. And I think part of that is just because the director, Hugh Wilson, is a guy who has made some some garbage movies. Yeah, I was okay. Good, I'm glad. Uh, that's the only avenue I saw to go with this as well. Is is this guy? Yeah, so. he directed the first Police Academy, which whatever. I mean, that movie's. Mm-hmm. I don't know how well that holds up. I've watched Police Academy in decades, but um, Down Periscope, uh, mm-hmm. Blast from the Past, Dudley mm-hmm. Do Right, like just a bunch of crap. First Wise Club. Um, well, First Wives Club is okay. Well received movie, right? And it's 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 a fine movie. Yeah, it's a it's an okay movie. Um, you 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 skipped what I would argue is the best movie on that list, which is Burglar. Burglar, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to give him too much credit. Um, and he actually wrote Burglar, and he wrote Guarding Tess. Um, but he also wrote Blast from the Past and Dudley Do Right. So you know, right? Take her for what you will. Mm-hmm. Um. The reason I wanted to do this movie, because I was actually going to do a different movie tonight, but I decided to go with this one because of the connection to Maryland and the fact that we're still in April. So we can still talk about like how we did the best movies filmed in Maryland. Um, So most of this movie, even though it's set in Ohio, um, was filmed in and around um, uh, like I would say suburbs of Baltimore County, more or less. it was filmed in Parkton, Maryland, for the most part, but also in uh, Timonium and Lithicum and Towson. Um, so a lot of places that are pretty close to where we live. Um, yeah. Which is weird that they don't just like set it in Maryland because of the proximity to Washington. But I guess that's the point is that um, Cage's biggest concerns early in the movie is that he's young, talented, ambitious and he's like kind of just stuck in this podunk like backwater town in ohio yeah it, may, it makes sense right sure that makes sense um those are some of the funniest scenes in the movie is uh he gets basically gets angry at um tess and tells her that he's requesting a transfer somewhere else like he's quitting um because his i guess they have like tours or something um and he tries to go back to washington and the president um, requests for him personally because she called and said like she needs Nick Cage there you know like it's important that she has him as her uh, as her secret service agent so they send him back and he turns into a complete dick about it um, and makes her cry and so then <laughs> while he's on the toilet the president calls and like reams him out basically for you know making a national treasure cry um and cage is cage is actually really good in it it's a very um very restrained performance and i assume it's because he's playing a guy that's real straight laced and by the book and right you know uh an authority figure anyway um but it's still it's 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 interesting to see him playing almost against type especially because in 94 i mean this is a guy that was doing right like pretty crazy movies within like a few years of this movie and just very low key, very laid back. Um, and again, the chemistry between the two of them is um, is pretty great. I mean, Shirley MacLaine is a fantastic actress, and she's certainly sure. charming in this role. And like I said, she kind of like tempers Cage a little bit and 
the way that he plays the role is um is pretty interesting to watch. Well, it's probably uh, you're you're more the extra because you're actually watching these movies than I. But so just listening to you and thinking about through all the movies we went through, this is a pretty wholly unique Cage performance, I would say, right? Like, you don't see this this Cage. Uh, do you see this Cage in any other movie? Like maybe maybe The Rock a little bit of some of the same performance, maybe. Yeah, even that it's he's very um, he's a little manic still in that, right? Yeah, and he's he's still he's just playing a I don't know. This is the, definitely his most subdued performance out of anything that I've watched. I don't know. I I'd have to really think, like go back and think, because there's no scenery chewing really, like or very little, mm-hmm. and any like emotion that he shows is basically. Like it makes sense within the context of the scene that he's in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very human emotion, which is weird for him. Like there's no high strung manic like antics or whatever. I mean, it's um, it's uh, it's interesting. So yeah. Um, the only scene I remember from this entire movie is the grocery store scene, where she forces him to go kick some dude out because he's smoking. Uh, and you, actually, you actually never even see that. Actually, no. I, I'm thinking of there. There was something about like a two for one special, like where she only wants. Oh to yeah, or something yeah. Like that. The 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 Lasurpies are two for one. Yeah, that's the and only thing I says, remember from this movie. She wants to know how much a single can of peas is, and they say, "Well, it's the same price as two because it's two for one. So if right. you buy one, you may as well buy right. the second. But the, and but then the, the bit there, right, is that it's like they're all like talking over their um other uh, comms. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Because Cage is um Cage is with the manager and one of the other agents is with her. And there's a point where he's like, She's moving away from the peas. The peas are no longer an option. <laughs> right. 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 It, but see, that's the thing. So that's why I say this movie needs to be longer, because there's so many scenes like that that are really just completely disconnected from anything else happening in the movie. That it almost feels like you're watching scenes from a sitcom mm-hmm. that actually was much longer and had like a lot more character development, and you're just seeing like a clip show in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, really, like it's 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 that tonal shift too when it goes to the kidnapping part, where like there's never been any hint of actual like menace in the movie. Like it's never even talked about that, right? anybody's ever wanted to kidnap her or she's any kind of like target aside from the fact that she's you know a former first lady and they even talked on numerous times about how because she's generally considered so safe that she actually has the ability to reject secret service and like not have a detail if she wanted right um, that's 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 why i kind of i zeroed in on that i guess is i was wondering like what the circumstance was of her getting kidnapped if it came out of nowhere um because i figured it was like uh, and because i was going to ask like is there foreshadowing of like some decision her husband made when he was president or some committee or like group or organization she was involved with like it's just it's just because she's famous and beloved the only only thing you really find out about her husband at all aside from like when they're in the um the man's like whatever presidential library um 
is basically that he was unfaithful to her at certain points in their marriage. And she kind of like turned a blind eye to it. But Nicolas Cage knew about it because he was part of his, you know, secret service detail. Mm-hmm. And they kind of like share a bonding moment over that sort of about Cage's like loyalty to her, um, her mm. deceased husband and like why she respects him and appreciates him right. and wants him around. Wonder where they got that idea in 1994, the unfaithful husband. Was that happening at that point? That wasn't a little it later. Was, no, it was, I mean the the bigger blow up was. Oh what, right, right. Uh, but I mean, like he he was running for president, and they and they knew he couldn't keep his dick in his pants. I mean, right, you're right. Um, um, but yeah, like it's not it's a completely inoffensive movie. I think I was I was talking to my um my parents about it tonight because they always ask me like what the what the quick cage is because we were there for dinner on Wednesdays and I told them like you know it's by no means like a five star movie or anything but it's it's a solid like three star movie you know it's entertaining it's well acted it's completely inoffensive and you know like just super palatable like there's nothing about it where you're annoyed or even like the the whatever the breakdown in like plot points and how it's kind of just scattered a lot of the time like you just kind of forgive it because it's whatever like it's fucking guarding tests you know it's not so yeah right that's it i'm looking here so the guy that wrote this was a staff writer on wkrp yeah um and also co-wrote real genius and wrote back to school um with harold ramus um then wrote Armed and Dangerous and Caddyshack 2. And then that's a TV thing. And then Guarding Tess. That's not a terrible track record. Well, it's interesting because, um, uh, what's his name? Um, Hugh Wilson was the executive uh, producer on WKRP 2. Hmm. Hmm. He wrote for the Bob Newhart show. He basically directed, wrote, and produced WKRP for its entire run. Um, did some other shows that I'm not super... Well, Frank's Place, I guess I know that a little bit. The famous Teddy Z, I kind of remember that. Right. Oh, okay, this guy, this writer, was was second... It was uh, Toronto's second city. So he, um, he was actually there when Martin Short was there <clears throat> in the late 70s. Um, <clears throat> Um, so yeah, so it's it's interesting because it's not really, it's definitely. I mean, like you know me pretty well. It's not the type of movie that I would traditionally like seek out to watch. But sure. um, I was fine with it. Like I was entertained by it. And it was it was good. I will probably never watch it again. Um, but I don't mind that I've seen it. It's one definitely one of the least terrible movies I've watched over the course of the past you know year plus. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those movies I would never watch again, but when I saw it when I was 15, it's not a thing I walked away and thought like, oh, that movie sucked, I hated that, or anything like that. I thought it was fine, I thought there was some funny bits in it, Um, and, you know, a little bit painful. What's your favorite fictitious president movie? Can you think of it off the top of your head? 
Um, I, I, have, I have my answer, but I'm curious what yours is. I uh, cannot probably off the top of my head come up with something like that. Um, just uh, you go ahead and tell me yours, and I'll see if I can like think of um, think of one. Mine is Dave. Yeah, yeah, I really like Dave a lot. Um, I'm a big fan of the idea of the, um, I don't know, almost like the changeling or doppelganger aspect of so that you're, movie. Because you're talking about movies, right? Not TV shows. Yeah, yeah, because then that, yeah. my answer then would be, um, Martin Sheen and, uh, right, and Jet Bartlett, right? Yep, yep, yeah, yeah, uh, same. Um, the two, the, the two that are coming to mind, and this does not mean this is the correct answer for me. I'm thinking of Peter Sellers and Dr. Strangelove. Hmm. Okay. Um, and a movie I don't necessarily care for so much, but, um, uh, um, Nicholson in Mars Attacks. Yeah, it's not really the question I'm asking, though. I want to, I like, I want a movie where the president is the main character. Yeah, where like the movie's about like a fictitious president, like First Kid or something. Yeah, they, I mean, Day's a pretty good answer. I mean, like, it's not Air Force One, um, which I forgot about Am- that fucking movie. Which Amazon keeps trying to get me to fucking watch because I watched Cliffhanger one night. Um, Air Force One's a better movie than Cliffhanger. Uh, and I haven't seen, um, I saw Air Force One in the theater in whatever, 97, and I haven't seen it since. Um, but um, I, I watched Cliffhanger, and um, I have to just agree, without seeing Air Force One again, that you're probably correct. Um, I remember Cliffhanger being better than what it was, um, but... Um, it's funny, because you, you said that when we talked about it the other day, after you had watched it, mm-hmm. and I actually remember the exact opposite of that. Really? Like I remember thinking Cliffhanger was absolute trash. Do you think it's possible? I, I, without looking it up, do you think it's possible in '95 I expected so little Stallone that I was surprised by how that it was not complete and utter shit? Maybe. Oh yeah, uh, that's entirely possible. Okay. I mean, because at that point in time too, you have to figure that we were looking for. I mean, we just gotten like Travolta, who was a joke at that point in time. Like, given one of the best performances in, you know, well, probably the best performance of his entire career. And so you were kind of like... His both are, up two of his best performances in the entire career, back-to-back in um, Fall Fiction and Get Shorty. Right, exactly. And so you were kind of geared up to, like, sort of expect these renaissances from these guys who were... Yeah. Because we, we definitely didn't have... I mean, I don't know about you. I personally didn't have the nostalgia for the 1980s you know at that point in time that i did that i do now or sure. 90s whatever so sure. like watching watching cliffhanger just felt i don't know yeah like a letdown like here's this guy that's doing exactly basically like the same thing that he's always done in a lot of ways or that he was famous for yeah, just uh, being you know like, what? I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to watch Air Force One now. Like that's what I should do. Is and I've been slowly doing that. Like for a year, is going back and watching nine, stuff from the '90s um, for a second time. 
Um, so maybe I'll have to watch that one again to to kind of determine. Uh, I know I'm correct now on Stallone because it's what '97, I think, is when he does Copland, and that was his yeah. like comeback, right? Like for well, that five, yeah, that was minutes. the thing where you where you were like, holy shit, like mm-hmm. this guy still can be an actor instead of just like uh right. Because remember, at this point in time, so around the time when Cliffhanger comes out, within like, and this is like within like a two or three year like time span, you've got shit like Eraser and um, trying to think of some other ones that had like these action stars. Um, Eva Destruction, you know, like Mm -hmm. where it was these movies where it was guys that you discovered in the 80s and were considered to be like the big action star being in a movie where they were just spouting quotable lines or whatever. Last Action Hero. Um, yeah. uh, fuck, what's um, Last Boy Scout? You know, like all this stuff. And I don't even like hate those movies, but as a discriminating, pretentious, fucking six, 17, 16, 17 year old prick, like I wasn't going to have any kind of affection for fucking Copland. Or not Copland, but um, Cliffhanger. Yeah. Uh, the only one other one that I can think of, like that features a president that, and I and I don't dislike the performance, but I don't think it would be my answer is um what Michael Douglas, right? In um American President, American President, yeah, yeah, um, uh, but yeah, that that, that are that were there like the main character. I can't think of any um where the main character. Because I was trying, also... I was trying not to look up lists, but I did just finally look up a list just to kind of get an idea. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of like little parts or cameo, not cameos, but like smaller roles that I really like a lot. Like I love um, Terry Crews as the president in um, Idiocracy, but right. he's not the main character. Um, yeah, I, I was just thinking, just and obviously there's no president that's the main character in this movie. Um, I was just thinking of the whole. Oh, speaking of Charolta, that's a role I forgot about. Um, uh, Primary Colors, um, the right. adaptation, um, which he's just doing Bill Clinton. So, I mean, I I don't know how, whatever. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't even like political drama that much, but there's something about when a movie does it right where um, mm. like it's just really entertaining and engrossing because you don't need any like myth building because you already know the myth. You know what I mean? Like you already know the, um, like the subtext of what's happening. You don't need to be told, um, Oh, yeah. here's what American politics is about. You have right. like, the, the, the drama is already inherent in the position. Right. Um, I mean, in some ways it, it feels like it bears a similarity in that respect to something like the courtroom drama. Right. Sure. Um, and there can be really great courtroom dramas and a lot of them can just be really shitty. So it's like legal Eagles, which is really shitty versus, um, um, witness for the prosecution. Sure. sure which is my, go. one of my favorite. Right. Courtroom dramas, but. Right. You, I, I love a few good men. I, I am. I, I, yeah. I yeah. Think, that's it's great. Know, movie. Yeah. Um, but it's like, yeah. So it's like, yeah. So it's the same thing, but, um, yeah, that's, that's interesting. That there's not a lot of, isn't there a Kevin Costner movie where he plays the president, like from like after Kevin Costner's heyday, where he gets like voted in like as a fluke almost? Yeah, isn't that a guy's name too? Maybe. Um, I can't remember. Swing vote, two thousand eight. Mm. Um, 
is what it's called. I mean, there's a lot of pablum that I just, I don't know, that I don't know anything about. I don't want to sound like an asshole, but. And I honestly, like, I think I had never seen Guarding Pest all the way through. Although I remembered a lot of it when I was watching it. Like, I felt like it was something where I maybe had just been tuning in and out on when it was on cable at one point. When I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Or like a young adult, I guess. Okay, he's not the president. Okay, in that movie. Never mind. <clears throat> Do you mind? Do you mind if I read you this like synopsis real quick? Because I I obviously had no idea what this movie is about. Um, yeah, so okay. In a presidential election set in an alternate 2008, Bud Johnson is a apolitical man from Texaco, New Mexico, <laughs> who is coaxed by his 12-year-old daughter, Molly, to take a more serious approach to life. Molly runs the the household and sees an opportunity on election day to energize her father. Frustrated by his apathy towards voting, Molly sneaks into her local polling place and tries to vote on the behalf of Bud. However, because the voting machines are unplugged, the ballot is registered, but no decision is indicated on which candidate receives the vote. Because the election is so close, Bud's vote becomes critical to allocating New Mexico's electoral college votes. The popular vote is tied for the two major candidates in New Mexico, leaving Bud to decide the next president of the United States. Bud gets wooed by the candidates from both sides, the incumbent Republican, uh, Andrew Boone, played by Kelsey Grammer, and the opposing Democrat, Vermont Senator Donald Greenleaf, (laughs) played by Dennis Hopper. Both candidates are aided by their campaign managers, Martin Fox, played by Stanley Tucci, and Art Crum, played by Nathan Lane. (sighs) There's more, but I'm I'm done at this point. Like hilarity ensues, I'm sure. Uh, Sounds amazing. Donald Donald Greenleaf, the senator from Vermont. Wonder who that's supposed to be based off of. In 2008, it's still based off Bernie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um. They don't say what state uh, the Republican is from. Um, wonder who that's loosely based. Well, on. he's probably from Texas. Maybe. Well, right. His name's Boone, so right. probably right, <clears throat> right. Oh, yeah, right. You're you're right. It's Texas. It has to be. Um. All right. So, what's the scores on this movie and the score on the cage performance? Movie itself is a solid. You know, like I said, it's three stars, so it's like six seven out of ten um the cage performance is honestly it's 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 another like seven or eight i mean it's it's a good performance that definitely i don't even know how to say it it's like him embracing a role and acting it appropriately instead of trying to get himself over yeah by making it about his interpretation of a role like Mm -hmm. it's um Really, if, if it would have been a miniseries or if it would have been a little longer where they connected some of these plot points a little better or maybe they removed some of the plot and like gave you the idea that she was in some sort of danger. But then I guess that whole point is that like now that I'm thinking about it is that maybe they felt like they could take advantage of the fact that his, her security was so lax because he was such an asshole to her for so long. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Yeah, but it's fine. 
if you feel like watching a completely harmless, inoffensive comedy, then have at it. It's uh, free on Prime or Prime. Spotify. It's Prime, I think. Yeah, um, somewhere. Um, and if you never watch it, you're no worse off. Like you're not missing some, you know, like classic of modern cinema or anything. Yeah, it's on Stars right now. So yeah, it's weird because it's really like absolutely one of the rare examples of a movie that's completely just fine. You know, not bad, not even problematic, but not great, just fine, you know? I feel like we've gotten out of the realm of making movies that are just fine anymore. Yeah, it's true. Well, it's because, yeah. Like, think about shit, and you're... you're I would argue that is exactly right with theatrical releases. You're going to take a little offense to this, but, um... I take offense to a lot of things. Go on. Think about something like just one of the guys, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, we enjoy that movie as kids, like, quite a bit. That movie's just fine, you know? Yeah, I I have no problem with that opinion. That's Bledsoe that loves just one of the guys. Like, you can watch that movie. You'll still enjoy that movie. Right. It's fine. You know, it's nothing that, like, you're going to seek out, but if it's on, it's perfect just to watch. And I don't think, I I think we've lost, like, those movies in some way. Right. Well, that's, like, most of the comedies of the 80s, I think, right? Um, Is is that movie that's just fine. You'll never, like, seek it out, necessarily. That's few and far between. But if it's on, you'll watch it. Um, I think, you know? I mean, sure. Like, Dave, Dave is just fine. Dave's right. a movie that I that used to come on once in a while on like a sure. Saturday afternoon. And I would sit down and watch Dave from whatever mm-hmm. point it started to whatever point it finished. And I was fine with it. And it was, you know, it was cool. It was all See, right. See, I, I think that's maybe this is something for each of us to think about for a few weeks from now. But I think that might be a difference between you and I is like those things that are just fine. And I find myself watching every single time because they're just fine they're not great movies but they're good movies or fine movies i tend to gravitate towards those things especially during my childhood like and maybe that's because of limited options potentially i don't know but well same here so it's like sometimes the things that like i love and you're indifferent to could be because of the uh of that very reason that they're just these like movies that are just good, but they were on so much that like, I kept going back to them, even if I did have another option. Um, so, I mean, I think that's why, like, I love like crocodile and D two, right. Mm. Not, not a great movie. Right. Um, some funny bits in it. Sure. Uh, you know, um, but not a great movie, but I love Crocodile Dundee 2 is because it was fucking on all the time. And like, but every time it was on, I found myself going back to it and like watching part of it. Um, and I grew to have affection for those things, even though I know it's not a great movie. Um, so can, can I give you some knee jerk armchair analysis on that? Okay. The reason I think that is, is because you had cable and I didn't. Hmm. So I had a much more narrow random movie choice selection that would come on. Gotcha. Whereas like most of my movie watching was done by me running things on VHS that I had some specific interest in seeing, which is why I've seen so many horror movies. 
it's also your it's also your 70 sci-fi thing right like right yeah and that was from my dad like running and watching those movies Mm -hmm. so and i saw a lot of just fine movies just because my parents would rent and watch Mm -hmm. but in terms of like just you know getting up on a saturday and turning on tbs and then what's the you know the tbs saturday afternoon movie or whatever saturday like what did they come on like 10 o'clock in the morning usually um i don't really have that same experience and the stuff that i had was like the western on saturday and then the kung fu movie and then the horror movie later in the day so yeah that's interesting yeah i mean there's definitely one of the movies that is on the upcoming well, whatever. I'll plug it. So this coming week on the um, podcast, we will be covering the top five horror films in 1993. And then the week after that, we will be doing Frank's um, first fresh five of the year where he covers his top five movies um, of things, just anything he has watched in the first uh, five months, roughly of the year. Um, and then after that, we will be doing the top five movies that Chris loves and Frank is different to. There is one of the movies on that list, though, that is certainly what I'm talking about. And you can, I'm assuming, guess which one it is, is that um, I love, and I know it's not a great movie, but it's something I used to just go back to and watch if it was on all the time. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, I'm super indifferent to that movie. (laughs) Right. 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 And has a Second City connection, too. So, You know what's funny is that I feel like I've, there's a couple movies that would have made your indifferent list at one point mm-hmm. <clears throat> that I've come around to a lot more, like as I get mm-hmm. older. Yeah. One of them you've always accused me of hating, and I've never admitted to it because I don't hate it. It's just, right. I didn't really love it, was yeah. um, Big Trouble. Like, I think hmm. I've truly, like, come to appreciate Big Trouble a lot more in the past, like, four or five years. I haven't seen it a couple times now. Yeah. And I Good. always liked Big Trouble. Yeah. But, I like John Carpenter a lot as mm-hmm. like a kid and it just felt like so atonal isn't the right word, but just like off from what I was like, what I expected from him. Sure. You know, like, I'm, I mean, this is a man that directed some of my favorite horror movies of all time. Right. He directed the thing, right? I mean, right. and it's Halloween, fucking, like, right. This fucking nonsense. Like what the hell sure. do I want? It's like, it's the, it's the modern swashbuckler. Only the guy's, half a fool (laughs) and it might also be it might also be more just that i've come to appreciate i think kurt russell more over the past Mm -hmm. decade whereas i kind of thought of kurt russell as just this aging joke and i think i've really started to like as i get older i understand more just how um how unique kurt russell is as an acting talent and even though he was willing to take on um well, might be considered like less glamorous or like more disposable roles. Like he definitely carves out a, a niche by doing those things. And I think he's a pretty important actor in terms of like the past two decades or yeah. four decades. What's the other one that you've come around on that um, would have made the list? And can you think of any? Mm. Uh, this is gonna sound sacrilegious. Um, in the mood for love, huh? That yeah. Like considering, I, considering I just told you the other week that like uh like from the data apparently like it's the most well received movie of the century so far. Yeah, and that's the thing is like I liked in the mood for love, and I sure. could recognize yeah. 
like the beauty and the artistry of it, but I'd always rather watch like Days of Being Wild or Fallen Angels or Happy mm-hmm. Together or Chungking mm-hmm. Express. Like if mm-hmm. you're gonna give me a Wong Kar Wai movie, I typically am not going to pick in the mood for love is that movie to watch. But then when we watched it again, um what was that? The ninety four no, not not ninety four. What 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 list is in the mood for love on? Um I cannot remember off the top of my head, Frank. Um it was not a specific year though. Um so I, I honestly cannot remember the list that's on. Well, whatever list that was. Like watching it again then, I was like, man, like I really um really need to reevaluate this movie just in terms of my overall like love for him as a director. Yeah, it feels like I can't even find it, like going back through our podcast history. Um, maybe it was a specific year, or like a year end thing. I can't remember. Um, I really can. Well, it has something to do with romance, but maybe I'm Didn't wrong. we do the 90s as a decade? Wasn't it then? No. Why didn't we do that? I guess we're doing that now for our. Um, yeah, I don't know. I can't remember which list it is at this point. Um, that's interesting, though. I would have never guessed that one. Um, I'm hoping to... Well, this is indifferent. I'm not expecting you to love it. There's still one on this list coming up that I'm hoping to turn you on. There's only one, but I'm hoping you appreciate it more. Um, but we'll see. Can't wait to watch it. (laughs) Such excitement. Well, you got five of them um, coming up soon. So, um, all right. So, um, thank you for listening, everybody. Um, we'll probably still stretch this thing out to 45 minutes this weekend. Oh, Jesus. Um, all right. So, only uh, 20, like, five more weeks to go. Um, and we will be awesome. done the uh, Cage uh, podcast. All right. Thank I'm you. I'm not going to lie. Oh, yeah. I'm oddly excited. I have no idea what to expect from next week's movie, so I'm a little excited to... Um... You already know what you're doing? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I already watched it. Hmm. Uh, or I already have, have it in my um, my PS4 ready to watch, I should say. Um, so I don't know what to expect from it, and it could be like absolute garbage, or it could actually be like a lot of fun, so, you know. Okay, I found it. Episode 72, Top 5 Romance Films um is mm. where we talked about uh one car wise in the mood for love um in that episode as well we talked about godard's breathless mm-hmm. um pound press burgers i know where i'm going mm-hmm. ethan hawk and julie delphi um in link ladders before sunrise and preston sturgis's sullivan's travels you know that um in the mood for love was just my my bone that I threw for you because I know how much you loved it. Right. Cause I got really drunk one night. Cause I think we were on the way home. We were talking about like our top five movies of all time. If we had to make a list and you came in and passed out after you told me what yours were, I think. And then like, cause I can't come up with that list off the top of my head. But then I sat there and thought about it as I probably like stuffed fucking checks mix in my mouth or something. Um, Delicious. God, I don't want to go back to that. Um, yeah, but, um, yeah, you do. But um, and then I came up with the list, and in the move for love was on there, and the only one you commented on um was you were surprised by in the mood for love being on there. 
yeah, I stand by my surprise. But it's a great movie. Like I, I, I definitely appreciate it a lot more now than I did. Yeah. You know. I think it's some of the best cinematography work that's ever been done. <clears throat> In tight spaces, I should I should say maybe. Mm. Mm. All right. So thanks for listening this week. Uh, you sold the hell out of that thing on that podcast, though. I remember that. <clears throat> All right. Have a good night, everybody. Bye.